Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 340 of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is sponsored by Advanced Compliance Solutions, one-stop shop for all things compliance-related. Today's podcast is sponsored by Compliance Week, who have published my most recent book, 2016, The Year in Corporate, FCPA Enforcement, Cardinal and Provident. It is available at Compliance Week and also at Compliance Week Sisters Company, publishing group, art group. To find out more information about the only book published about the most significant year in FCPA enforcement in many years, please go to the art group website, which is ARK, that's ARK, ARK-group.com and plug in the name of my book in the search function and it will take you directly to it. Gives you more information about the book and also allows you to purchase it. Today I have with me Patrick Hines. Patrick is a compliance officer with a company in the Siemens Group, but he has written one of the most interesting books I have read recently on compliance going forward. It is called Access Granted Tomorrow's Business Ethics. We have a, it's a fascinating book where it takes a look at where compliance is going to be 10, 20, and further years down the road. In this episode, we take a look at how compliance may look through gamifications and ethics training, how AI will impact compliance. He ties the German mus- musical group Kraftwerk into compliance. We take a look at some of the themes from Minority Report and tie them into compliance. And finally, we talk about Isaac Eisenbaugh's three laws of robotics and how they apply to compliance. It's a fascinating interview and a fascinating book. We're going to talk about the book more in the uh, interview, and I will link to it in the show notes. I would really urge you to consider purchasing a copy of it. Uh, it's a fascinating book. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you back for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. You are in for a real treat today because I have Patrick Hens with me. Patrick uh, has been in the compliance space since uh, 2007 when I started in it as well. Uh, But that's not the reason I asked him to come on the podcast. I asked him to come on because he has written one of the most fascinating books about compliance that I've seen in a while. It's entitled Access Granted, Tomorrow's Business Ethics. So with that somewhat long-winded introduction, Patrick, uh, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with us today. Well, thanks for your invitation. It's a real pleasure to uh, to speak with you. As you mentioned, uh, we are both quite long uh, inside the business, but we somehow never met so far. So for my audience who may not uh, be familiar with you, could you just tell us a little bit about your uh, work in compliance? You've, you've had some fascinating projects and assignments over the past 10 years or so. Thanks. Uh, in fact, I'm... Uh, came into compliance via accident, maybe as many of us. Originally, I am um, uh, from Germany. I studied business economics, met my wife, who is Mexican. So after a while, I moved to Mexico City. I then, uh, after three years living in Mexico, I entered Siemens in the beginning of 2007. And uh, as I've been working at that time for the IT department as an implementation manager, they looked for somebody at the end of the year to implement the new compliance system as a direct answer of their global cases. 
So uh, this is the way I started in compliance, first implementing uh, compliance in Mexico and in several other Central American uh, countries. I sta stayed in the department, became a compliance officer for their industry, infrastructure and cities uh, sector. Until uh, like four years ago, they offered me a position uh, to do similar here in Atlanta. So uh, here I am now in, uh, in the US and I'm uh, responsible for compliance inside Primetals Technologies, which is a joint venture between Mitchell Heavy Industries and Siemens. And I'm responsible for compliance inside the Americas, which is mainly the US, Mexico and Brazil, which is very interesting because uh, three completely different countries, different cultures, different uh, challenges. So I'd now like to turn to your book, and I would have to tell you to start with, after having read it cover to cover, I was absolutely livid that you had written something that had so many cultural references from as diverse sources as Philip Dick, Isaac Asimov, uh, Ray Bradbury, and my personal favorite, Kraftwerk. So uh, <laughs> kudos on the references. It was just fabulous. But um, kind of what was your inspiration to write this book, Patrick? Well, in fact, um, writing, uh, um, for me, it's, it's a way of uh, learning. So I write about stuff uh, where I'm interested in, uh, in, learn, in to learn more. Uh, as, uh, as you know, if you're in uh, compliance for around 10 years, there are not so many changes on the FCPA. So you are thinking uh, what's, what is coming next uh, because um, uh, one of the studies say that uh, at 2025, which is, by the way, less than uh, 10 years now, 30% of our jobs will be replaced by artificial intelligence, robots, uh, software. So it's a topic which uh, sounds like uh, science fiction, but uh, can be very real uh, still in the time where we are still uh, working. And on the other hand, it's a little bit uh, going back to my roots as I'm... Uh, I have been grown up with uh, science fictions. I remember seeing uh, the second Star Wars movie uh, directly at the cinema. Uh, of course, I liked uh, reading uh, books by the mentioned authors. Later, as I started um, uh, business administration, my, I did my uh, master writing about the internet in 2002, how it affects the communication between companies and the consumer. And uh, on the other hand, how it changes uh, the consumer, that uh, it's easier for them to contact uh, a big company, what was without the internet uh, not really possible. So Patrick, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, big data, technology, AI, how they all intersect in compliance and where it all may be going. But I was wondering if maybe we could start out with some of your thoughts about where you see not really compliance, but broadening it out to business ethics, where uh, technology may be driving us going forward. Any kind of general thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, in general thoughts, uh, a situation that uh, many of us in compliance uh, face is that the big cases maybe are gone for many companies. So we are now facing uh, the pressure that we have to save, uh, that we have to reduce our budget. So uh, using... Uh, uh, more uh, technology will be one uh, solution how we can keep up the level as maybe uh, the first contact uh, uh, for a question 
could go to a bot. And this, uh, on the other hand, can also support because depending on the culture, uh, people uh, uh, try to avoid losing their face. And if they have some basic questions, it's a little bit strange, but sometimes they prefer asking a, a machine or a software than a human being. And on the other hand, uh, we are, uh, all our solutions, uh, they are collecting data. So, uh, so this is already a reality and will become even more. And one of my ethical concerns is, and this also related to uh, the classical fraud triangle by David Cressy is that it's, of course, if we have the data somewhere laying around, there's a big temptation that they're using all this data even it would, uh, if it would be protected by, David, uh, by privacy law. And another big problem for a global company is that the different countries, especially uh, US or Europe, on the other hand, we have completely different data privacy laws. So a lot of things, what is allowed for us here inside the US would be forbidden for our colleagues in, uh, in Germany, Austria, or wherever. And this is a little bit of a problem as uh, we are a big uh, connected uh, company, but nevertheless, uh, we have to exclude uh, some countries from the possibilities. So I was very intrigued by your use of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And even um, I, I found that, or I thought you tied it to the fraud triangle. And if I got that correct, I was wondering if you yes. can explain how you see the intersection of those two concepts. Uh, I, I mean, I, I saw them uh, maybe not automatically uh, connected, but the, but the fraud triangle is a very classical uh, theory by uh, David Cressy, who worked, uh, if I'm complete, if I'm not wrong, for the FBI, and he says if uh, if there I have the possibility, if I if there is a temptation, and if I can somehow. Uh, bring it, uh, make it compatible to my uh, values, then uh, I might uh, violate uh, a guideline or a law. And of course, if it's, it's easy for me to get access to the internal information which I have uh, on my server, and if there are no strong uh, culture lift inside the company, and if there's no uh, data privacy law, then I might be very tempted uh, to use this information uh, uh, depending how I need it. Um. So I'd now like to turn to just uh, to some of the chapters in the book that really mm -hmm. struck me. Uh, the first one was your chapter entitled The Gamification of Life. Mm -hmm. and on page 52, you, you give some information that uh, although coming from the ga uh, gamification theory, it really seemed to me to be um, talking about ongoing training, but even more broadly, just communication and compliance. And you said that um, the game provides information and information informs the game. And that seemed mm -hmm. to me to be quite an insight in terms of the, really the, the ongoing communication that a compliance professional needs to have. Uh, with the uh, their consumers, who of course are the um, corporate employees, can yeah. you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, in general, I have uh, information which I want to push to the employees, 
which I have to be a little bit uh, careful because if I uh, sending out too much information, if I'm sending out uh, um, an e compliance email every week or so, then uh, people would start to resist my message. So in general, and this is already uh, valid today, I try to limit uh, my communication and if possible, include the compliance message inside uh, the general monthly uh, email newsletter instead of writing out uh, separate emails this to avoid that my message get automatically in the spam filter. Um, we have to see that we have a change of uh, generation in our workforce and there's one uh, interesting uh, study that um, we only have uh, only can concentrate uh, eight seconds on one topic before we start uh, taking to look on the next topic, which is uh, more or less the same time also a goldfish uh, has to concentrate on one topic. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't know, I don't remember if I mentioned it in that book, uh, but I read it somewhere, so it's quite uh, fascinating. And this, of course, uh, is especially valid for the um, millennials or even more for the later generation, what is called the Generation uh, Z. I mean, I see it for my own daughter. She uh, she is a, a real digital uh, native. Uh, she knows uh, or knows how to use the iPhone, the tablet, uh, much more than I do myself. So she really is grown up. And um, some simple things. I mean, we are still uh, socialized with the normal linear uh, TV. So if we wanted to see a show, we had to wait uh, maybe one week for the next episode. And now uh, the people are not uh, willing anymore to wait one week to see their favorite TV series. Uh, you see it uh, on Netflix and see it maybe inside uh, one week, the whole uh, 30 episodes. So uh, this uh, on-demand um, uh, philosophy, which we have now, uh, um, also it's uh, quite relevant for our communication. So uh, what I need to think of, uh, how I get the information to my internal consumers. One uh, possibility uh, would be to include it in somehow of uh, some sort of games, which uh, I must admit I'm not until today I'm not sought uh, too many good examples uh, for the compliance topic. I saw some for more for IT topics, but so far I not saw a, a real good solution for um, compliance and um, and this gamification. I don't uh, mean for the, the example that you choose uh, between four words and put it on the right part uh, of the sentences. So I, I'm still not sure how this would look like for compliance. Um, another interesting possibility is, uh, and this is I think much easier to implement, are micro learnings. And, and we're not only speaking about millennials, also the normal workforce, as all of us, uh, we are used to, to work on three projects at the same time. If there's a one-hour compliance uh, web uh, training, I'm completely sure nobody will really do it in one hour, starting from, uh, starting, uh, from the beginning uh, up to the end. But they will start, then they will get an email, uh, they will... Uh, answer this email or do any other task then if they have some time coming back and so on. So maybe it would be more interesting uh, and we are uh, 
hopefully will start uh, experimenting with this to have a short uh, five minutes micro learnings only about one uh, topic and then uh, preferring uh, sending out maybe a weekly uh, micro learning instead one big and long uh, webinar. And of course, Another form of gamification is uh, storytelling. So, uh, so something that I want to avoid uh, is that uh, a compliance presentation, uh, I tell the people uh, the laws, I tell them how to use um, the tools. Of course, this is included, but I try to include uh, one or two uh, stories so that they can uh, uh, really uh, also emotionally uh, connect with the topic. So now I'd like to turn to your chapter entitled AI Compliance Officer. And I would just like to go through a list of tasks you had for the AI Compliance Officer because I found that list to really be fascinating for a human compliance officer to think through. So I'm going to read out the, uh, the topics and just ask you to describe how you see the AI Compliance Officer fulfilling these. So number one was responsibility. Number two was explainability. Number three, accuracy. Number four, mm -hmm. auditability. And number five, fairness. How do you see AI in the role of the compliance officer in those five concepts, Patrick? Uh, well, first of all, uh, what you mentioned here, uh, it's not uh, my, uh, my uh, own thoughts. This uh, has been um, developed by a university uh, work group between uh, in, um, working together with Microsoft and maybe some other topics. So there's a work group thinking about artificial intelligence and uh, business ethics. Uh, of course, res responsibility, it's a good question. I mean, uh, what I put in the, in the book is, uh, if you are thinking about um, artificial intelligence, we are not thinking about CPO, R2D2 or any other um, nice uh, robots. At the end, it's a machine, and uh, a machine cannot be good or cannot be bad. It's a little bit similar to an animal. Uh, a lion is not killing because it's a bad uh, uh, being, but uh, because uh, it's its nature. So, uh, and we have to think also lose a little bit our romantic idea about uh, robots, but uh, see them as um, as a tool, as a software, as it already exists uh, today. As it uh, artificial intelligence in uh, opposite to normal software is um, a program which can uh, learn on its own. So uh, first of all, uh, we are being an artificial intelligence compliance officer, you are big uh, target group is not uh, the software itself, but are the developers. The, it, we must ensure that the developers of the software, they are, they are aware of our business values about the law, because what we saw in, um, uh, uh, for example, now with Huber and the gray ball uh, case is that uh, if you are grown up in your virtual world, in your virtual world, you may be not aware of the consequences in uh, real life. This is, so maybe uh, this target group may be tempted to, uh, to limit uh, their works, their software uh, on the based on technical possibilities and maybe not on uh, real existing uh, 
laws. Uh, so this is one big uh, target group for me as, a com as an AI compliance officer. And of course, uh, we would have to think if I, if the, if I would be in this position, uh, should I have an IT background so that I could uh, understand the software, if I could understand coding to see uh, how the software is really uh, using the, so the information that it has and comes to its uh, conclusion. And here uh, we are coming back to our today's world. Um, one topic uh, I especially uh, always discuss when I'm in Latin America is that uh, corruption is not a part of a culture, but it's a pure learned uh, behavior. So let's say if the software would be based purely on algorithm, it's due to impunity in some of the states, it may come to the conclusion it's a good uh, strategy to bribe. So uh, we have to ensure that uh, even, it would, even if the algorithm would come to another solution, uh, that uh, this is not uh, the way that we're doing business. And here, for example, we could uh, come back to uh, Isaac Isimov's uh, law of uh, robots, which yes. most of us, which most of us know. Uh, the first three one, uh, a little bit less known, is that he later included a fourth one, which is in fact his law number zero. And uh, and here the machine has to obey that uh, it cannot act against uh, uh, humanity, which which if we uh, understand the cost of corruption uh, would be the case because corruption is not a faceless uh, crime, but mostly uh, the poorest level are the victims uh, as the level of uh, living is not adequate as infrastructure is missing uh, up to that, of course, it's also causing uh, that. So this is uh, more or less regarding uh, um, responsibility. So it would be the responsibility uh, not only for the software, as you might think of, but also compliance. We are responsible for the human being. And here we have a new target group uh, with maybe the IT department or in general the, the, the people who have to work with uh, artificial intelligence. So um, in... I'm sorry, in your next, in a chapter entitled Compliance 2025, you actually had one of the most insightful lines I've ever read about a compliance officer. And, and I thought it's so significant that, that I really wanted to read it. And I'm curious. Yeah, you said com the compliance core function is not to inform employees about internal and external guidelines and execution or execute rather regarding controls, but more important to implement an adequate and positive, an adequate positive and sustainable corporate culture. Um, so uh, could you tell us when this book came out? Oh, it's quite new. It's uh, end of last year. Okay. But, uh, so but you, wrote I, this, yeah. you wrote this, though, in last year, correct? Yep. So you wrote this before the Department of Justice released their February document on operationalization entitled Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs. You have exactly described what the U.S. government says a corporate compliance program should do. So I really thought that was just one of the most significant lines in uh, the entire book. But in that chapter, you really went through and detailed out some of your predictions. And what I found so interesting, Patrick, was 
you didn't say you've got all this data, you're going to find a way to slice this, slice it, dice it, and analyze it better. You, you even went down to smartphones and wearables uh, that collect information and how those can be used by uh, the compliance function going forward. So I was just wondering if you could highlight some of the things that uh, you see in 2025. Well, uh, just uh, um, coming shortly back uh, to your first uh, comments, um, as I worked a long time in Latin America, um, including in a country where the impunity level is uh, quite high, uh, so for me, uh, in general, uh, this was our experience is that uh, you have to, to, it's not enough to really tell them what is good, what is bad, but also to motivate them. And on the other hand, and this is an advantage working in these countries, it is uh, much easier to motivate the people to a good, uh, positive corporate culture as they, they face the negative uh, results of corruption in their daily life. And this is the big difference uh, living in the US than living, uh, for example, in Mexico, because here in the US, I mean, we see corruption every day, but only on TV, it not really hurts us in our daily uh, life. So it's, this is a big difference if you're working, uh, uh, for example, in the US or in a country with a higher corruption uh, level. Um, and uh, regarding um, information, okay. I mean, uh, all of us, no, not all of us, but a lot of people are using uh, today variables, most of us uh, to see how much we are running every day. And uh, it's not only about uh, variables. Uh, and there's uh, another interesting uh, study available that uh, we are slowly turning ourselves into cyborgs. I mean, the classic <laughs> idea of the classic idea of a cyborg is a human being with uh, computer parts. Uh, maybe you read it, uh, there's one uh, small Swedish startup which uh, asked their employees to implement a little microchip so they don't need uh, their ID card to open the doors. And quite interesting, uh, it seems that most of these employees uh, are following, the, uh, following this and they're making a, a party and then somebody implements their ship into the finger. Uh, but if we are uh, forgetting about this, uh, this I mean, uh, even if we don't have anything implemented and uh, even if we are not uh, having the classical variable, uh, we, are, we are something similar as a cyborg. As, and this is what uh, the study found out, is that uh, um, most people today, we are not uh, using so much time to think uh, about a question as maybe 10 years ago. If there's a question, if we, we don't remember it in the first seconds, what we do, we go to our smartphone, we use the browser or we use the Wikipedia app, enter it and we have the information. So we take much less time and effort uh, today to, uh, to think about the problem. But uh, so we not know the answer, but we know where to find it. This is also what our children get uh, taught in, in school. So, and this is of course uh, uh, a problem because uh, what is the important uh, source for business in the future and maybe already today, it's um, information. Wikipedia, uh, as you know, it's a very good tool, but it's a good tool to start. It's, 
it not always has the real truth. So, and this is a big problem that we may uh, uh, do our decisions based on information which we just found on the internet, like sources uh, as Wikipedia or maybe even worse, some strange information portals, Facebook, uh, whatever. So uh, one of the problems, and uh, this is the same uh, for a human employee or an artificial employee, we have to ensure that the information uh, we are using is correct. And uh, what is and also important for me today is uh, uh, to, to involve um, the um, employee in the, in the decisions. Uh, for example, uh, as I said, here in the US, we are not used to live uh, with a high corruption level. But nevertheless, we are doing business all around the world. So I have uh, employees traveling to Latin America, Africa, Asia, including uh, countries which, which are quite high corruption perception index. So I try to prepare uh, before the trip, the employees telling them a little bit about, of course, also safety issues, but also about the local um, corruption risks, uh, how uh, corruption could, uh, could uh, how they could get into contact uh, into corruption. Uh, regarding facilitation payments, um, etc., and also very important, uh, tell the, tell our employees uh, how corruption affects uh, the local citizens, and he, uh, this to uh, ensure that uh, they know uh, comply. Uh, sorry, corruption is not um, not a part of a culture. It it is not a faceless crime, but there's uh, really people suffering in these countries. And so they they start having a, a little bit of empathy, and they understand how that uh, compliance corruption is an important topic. And so, hopefully, if somebody asks them for a facilitation payment, not easily give away the two, five, three, five dollar, which is nothing for us to be honest. But they really think about it, think uh, that it's an important topic, and. Uh, because I have to be honest, it's not uh, always easy to resist uh, a facilitation payment. You may argue for an hour at an airport, and uh, especially if you are tired stepping out the plane, you're not always willing uh, to, f to have these discussions. So it's a quite big temptation. So uh, I like to, uh, to foster the involvement and the empathy of our employees because we expect them uh, uh, to comply with laws independent if the government itself uh, fosters their own laws, yes uh, or no. And I am uh, seeing, I'm answering something completely different than you asked me. <laughs> but uh, as I said, variables uh, uh, they are collecting a lot of uh, information and of course we we have to be sensible what information we are collecting about our own people. So Patrick, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if you could uh, tell our audience uh, how they could, uh, where they could go to purchase the book and if they um, wanted to contact you about anything uh, that came up in this interview or anything about the book, if they could uh, contact you and if so, how would they do it? Um, thanks, Tom. In fact, uh, the, the book, it's quite easy to get 
most easy for us here in the US and other countries. It's available on Amazon, but also at other uh, bookstores. There are two different um, versions. There's the normal paper version, the normal classical book. And if you prefer, you can also get a Kindle version. Um, personally, I, uh, for me, it's interesting, even uh, if we are living in modern times, most people still uh, prefer the paper book. And uh, um, it has a small advantage as it's also including uh, the pictures, which I have excluded for the Kindle version. Um, so you can uh, find it uh, quite easily. You, on different uh, bookstores, as I've mentioned, especially Amazon, but also others. And of course, uh, it's always a big pleasure uh, to discuss the topics with somebody. And um, and to be honest, writing a book uh, in, uh, uh, about compliance, it's not uh, Harry Potter. It's not that we are getting richer uh, of it. It's, but uh, the real advantage is not only that it's very good really for yourself to learn about a topic, but also you get in contact with, with other people and you have a lot of interesting discussions, uh, for example, as uh, I have been with you today. And of course, you can contact me uh, via my email. Uh, maybe you will include it later in your, in your blog. It's patrick.hens. Hence, H-E-N-Z, Z like Sue, at primetals.com. Well, Patrick, I'd like to really thank you for taking the time to visit with us. And we'll certainly link to both the, uh, the book and uh, put your email in the show notes. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you'd like to uh, get more information on my most recent book, 2016, The Year in Corporate FCPA enforcement, please check out the ARC group, ARK-group.com. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate this podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the oldest pod, current podcast in compliance. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, and I hope you will join me again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.